I got into it, uh, obviously kind of dabbled in it. And it was interesting to me because you're working with real people. I mean, mm-hmm. people were coming in, they needed help, you were assisting them. And it's, uh, the other thing I was doing in life was litigating mm-hmm. domestic cases. So I had enough drama and I had enough uh, courtroom <laughs> experience. So I enjoyed more of the in-office uh, yeah, work with yeah. people who were kind of happy to talk to you instead mm-hmm. of you know fighting with you in court. So uh, both of those, those appealed to me. And then the more familiar I got with it and the more I dealt with people, the more you know, I appreciated how much, how easy or difficult our office can make it for new fiduciaries. Mindy Hetzel oversees the probate of Loudoun County Estates. Appointed in December 2013 by Loudoun County Circuit Court, she also maintains a private law practice as an estate and trust attorney with the Leesburg Law Firm of Haynes and Dickerson. Prior to being appointed as Commissioner of Accounts for Loudoun County, she served as Loudoun County Deputy Commissioner of Accounts for seven years. Kelly Pinkard, who was a past guest on the Probate Navigated show, said that we had to get Mindy on as a special guest given her wealth of knowledge and expertise in probate. A few weeks ago, I had the distinct privilege of sitting down with her to discuss what exactly a fiduciary needs to accomplish in the first four months of resolving an estate. Mindy answers this question and many others like mistakes to avoid and recommendations to listen to with caution. Welcome to an all-new episode of Probate Navigated. This is the show where I dive deep into probate so that you can be the master of resolving your estate so that you have a story to tell. We believe that confusing complexity is the enemy to successfully resolving your estate, and an educated and sophisticated executor or fiduciary with the right team is the best way to defeat that enemy and win in probate. I am your host, Jonathan Smith, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Mindy Hetzel. Mindy, welcome to the Probate Navigated Show. Thank you. It's good to talk to you today. Well, it is great to have you today. Uh, Maybe the listeners don't know, but our connection was from Kelly Pinkard, who was a prior guest on the show. And Kelly just said, what an amazing human being you are, and also just how deeply you care about people. And so we were really excited to have you on the show. I'd love to start here. Tell us how that came about. How, how did you become the commissioner of accounts and why did you choose that? So just a plug for Kelly. Um, she's done a wonderful job as far as accounting for us. I can't recommend her highly enough and I'm, I'm glad that she mentioned me too. So I'm here today. <laughs> so um, when I graduated from law school, I started working in a general practice firm actually with my stepfather, Bill Haynes. Mm. He at the time was the commissioner of accounts and that was in 92. Wow. At that time, our county was so small that we probably had eight or nine, maybe 10 estates coming in a month, as opposed to the 50 or 60 we have now. So it was very much a side job. So I pretty much did anything and everything for a general practice. And then I also helped him with all the probate that came in, all the work that he did as commissioner of accounts I assisted. So I started kind of at a very slow pace as the county grew. So... We were in practice together until 19, well, in practice together until a couple years ago, but then in 2006, we had been together for since uh, 92, so 2006, our county grew 
over 300,000 residents. And at that point, wow. yeah, the code allows for the Commissioner of Accounts to appoint a deputy. So a deputy is an individual that actually works in the commissioner's office who can has the same signing authority um, and who could basically mirror any of his tasks. So in 1996, the court appointed me as a deputy commissioner. At that point, I was still doing some general practice work um, and commissioner of accounts work because, quite frankly, the county, even though it was large enough to justify a second individual, mm -hmm. we were both practicing law. So we were both doing it part time. Then in uh, end of 13, beginning of 14, Mr. Haynes resigned and the court appointed me as the commissioner of accounts. Wow. So I've been doing it for a very long time and I've gone from maybe an hour a week to now full time. In, because in 2000, maybe eight, when the real estate um, crisis hit, mm -hmm. we went from receiving uh, two foreclosures a month to 150 foreclosures a month. Two to 150? Yes. So we had to we had to hire five or six people, and I at that point just stopped practicing law. I've dabbled a little bit, but since then I pretty much devoted myself to the commissioner work. So let me ask you this question, Monique. I know that you are uniquely qualified to answer it. Fifty to sixty new probate filings a month. Mm -hmm. well, on average, how do you find that these fiduciaries, executors, administrators are coming in emotionally and mentally in the very beginning? So we, of course, we handle estates, trusts, guardianships, mm -hmm. conservatorships. So I'll, I'll, the majority, I'll stick to probate since I only discuss estates. So what I would say is the majority of people are kind of shell-shocked. Mm -hmm. if, if they've appointed their attorney or a, a, or a friend, usually they're, they're a little bit more um, able to handle the yeah. tasks. But dealing with the death of a loved one and then after you qualify receiving this huge packet of paper, which is difficult on your best day, you know, they're just, they are nervous. Yeah. I think that's the problem. It makes them nervous, even though it's something that certainly can work through the grieving together with all this information is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's more handholding, not yeah. so much yeah. that they can't do it. It's just kind of walking through the process and assuring them that even if you make a mistake, I mean, everybody's afraid to make it, even if you make a mistake, you know, we can certainly figure something out yeah. and make it work. So that leads to the main question and why we were so excited to have you on the show. You have people coming in, feeling that way, thinking that way. Now you have this huge packet of paper. So here's the question I'd love to have you answer. What are the most important things to accomplish in the first four months after having qualified as an executor? So my best advice to fiduciaries is spend as much time as you need to identify the assets, to marshal the assets, and to safeguard the assets. Okay. I mean, that's somewhat an overwhelming process when you've got bank accounts, brokerage accounts, tangible personal property, real property. So there can be, I mean, you can have a huge estate and again, that can be a bit overwhelming. So take your time, be meticulous, because you can be personally responsible if you don't, if you don't safeguard those assets. Mm -hmm. If there's any loss between the time you qualify and the time you close that estate, um, again, if, if you don't prevent the waste or prevent any um, mm -hmm. deterioration, then you could be personally responsible. Can you expand on each of those? Yes. Just to help anybody who's listening that doesn't get exactly what you mean, could you tell us exactly what you mean with each of those? Sure. So identifying is really a process of 
kind of familiarize yourself with the decedent's assets. Mm -hmm. So get their mail forwarded to you. So you start getting all their bank statements and their bills. Um, go to their house and see where they're written, where they keep their uh, mail. Get all their financial statements, get all their bank statements, get all their bills, same thing. Just basically get as much information as you can. Probably you'll see insurance policy payments, uh, retirement information. So gather all that information. Another thing that can be helpful is check registers. If you have check registers, you can go back months and just see if there's maybe something they pay quarterly mm -hmm. or, or every six months. Um, tangible personal property is a little more tricky. Yeah. So if they had their own home, basically all you need to do is change the locks and make sure that the property is safe. Mm -hmm. If they lived in somebody else's home, if you feel comfortable leaving it there, then you certainly can. It's just a, a question of reasonableness. You, you decide if you think it's gonna be safe. If you feel like it's not going to be safe, then you would be responsible to take that property and put it in a storage unit mm -hmm. or even in, in your own home. I mean, we're very, we start from a position of trust. So mm -hmm. as long as we believe you're safeguarding the assets and no one is telling us that you've done anything inappropriate, um, we're not going to, we're yeah. not going to ask. So that's probably the best way to marshal, you know, to, to, to figure out what you have. So let me ask you this. You just said so many things. We're talking about check registers. We're mm -hmm. talking about insurance and retirement accounts all these things and i know with the individuals that i've met with there can be a fear of did i miss anything right is there any resource is there any list that can safeguard against missing something that you know of that you can just tell someone hey just go down the checklist follow that step by step you know that's a good question i don't know if we have that on our website um, we certainly have a list of everything you're supposed to include with the mm -hmm. account, which would have all those items. Okay, good. So that is least, that's a secondary resource because that's not the primary need. Um, because I can't think of anywhere that lists just those items, but that's a good idea. But they can go to the website, and we'll have that in the show notes. For yep, everyone. absolutely. Okay. Because again, the list of things to file with your accounting has a number of the uh, mm -hmm. items that I that I just listed. Okay, so. Tell us a little bit more about what you exactly you mean with Marshall. Okay. So for instance, for bank accounts, mm -hmm. um, once you figure out where they had, where your decedent had bank accounts, go to the bank. Um, look at the account. Are there automatic deposits? Are there automatic withdrawals? You're going to want to stop all like mail subscriptions and, um, you know, magazines, that kind of thing. If the mortgage is getting pulled out, you're going to want to make sure you keep that account open long enough until you can address that. You don't want your mortgage payment to bounce, obviously. Um, you're going to want to open a estate account. So usually when you go in, I say, if it's convenient, open it at the same bank mm -hmm. and then just ask them to transfer the funds, less any funds you think you're going to need for an automatic, um, any automatic withdrawals. Mm -hmm. And then see if you can get any automatic, um, deposits switch to that account some banks will work with you some won't yeah um, but you could always just transfer it over once those once you feel like uh, you've pretty much gotten to the point where the automatic debits and credits are done you can just close that account out and move it over okay make sure that that bank has re doesn't charge you a fee for statements because some do these days a lot of people bank online there's no low balance fee and that they return checks usually check images these days you want to make sure that um, you don't get charged for any of those. That's good. Those are three. Those are really important details, right there. Yeah, because that can you can hit twenty dollars a month in, in low balance fees yeah. and get rack up quite a few. If you have a brokerage account, usually I recommend you open an estate account and then they'll just transfer those assets in kind mm -hmm. over to the brokerage account. 
a lot of older individuals have um, stock certificates still. They never, never uh, liquidated them and put them in a brokerage account. I recommend you liquidate them and put them in a brokerage account. Okay. Number one, once you lose a stock certificate, you have to pay hundreds of dollars to get a new one. Mm -hmm. And number two, it's just much more, it's much easier to negotiate and distribute once it's in a brokerage account. Okay. So um, I, that's how I would get control of the cash assets. Tangible personal property we've talked about. The one that's really tricky is real estate. Mm -hmm. So first you need to understand what your responsibilities, rights are under the will, yeah. if you have a will. If, if you, you don't have a will, then you don't have the power of sale. And obviously, because there is no will, and that's the only way you can get the power of sale pursuant to a will or a court order. Yeah. So if you have no will, you're not responsible for that real estate. Do not pay anything to maintain or upkeep that, ma that real estate past paying for the decedent's utility bills, phone bills, any last utilities mm -hmm. and other upkeep um, items that were due solely to the to the decedent, you should pay those. After that, the property, as they say in Virginia, drops like a rock. Right. It vests in the beneficiaries or the heirs at law. So we have a lot of people that start paying uh, the people to mow the lawn and you know different. Somebody had to fix the roof and make sure you if you don't have the power of sale, you don't have a will. Don't do that. Um, let's, really, let's pause there for a minute because I know some of the listeners are in that exact place. So let's assume somebody's listening and saying, okay, well, yeah, I'm a beneficiary. I know the house now has been essentially given to me, mm -hmm. dropped like a rock. Mm -hmm. what, are, what should they do right now? So let me clarify just so we bring everybody in that this would be relevant for. So if you don't have a will or if you have a will and either it doesn't grant you the power of sale mm -hmm. or it grants you the power of sale, just a general blanket, but you're not directed to sell. Okay, so these are all mm -hmm. individual. this is all fiduciaries that aren't going to sell the real estate for one reason or another, yeah. not just people without a will. Um, so a lot, there's a lot of pressure usually from co, usually when it drops like a rock, you've got, you own it with your brothers and sisters mm -hmm. and they expect you to pay for it because you're the fiduciary of the estate. You have to try to explain to them that that money can only be used to maintain estate assets and a house is not a state asset. Mm -hmm. So, and it's difficult, and but that's a line that you have to toe because you could be personally responsible for if you pay anything out that should not have been paid out. Again, mm -hmm. I try to be flexible a couple months for utilities, a couple months after the decedent died, but after that, that house is owned by those beneficiaries. They're 100% responsible for the for upkeep and maintenance, but they also are 100% entitled to the rents or any income you could earn off that property. Right. So it surprises a lot of people, but yeah, you've got to start paying, you've got to start paying the electric bill and you've got to, you know, mow mm -hmm. the lawn. And so you've got to tell your siblings and or the other heirs, whoever they are, if you're not related to them, you know, you've got to figure out a way to, to make this happen because right. I can't, I can't support it as the fiduciary. It's not an estate asset. Right. Okay, good. That's really helpful. Let's go to the safeguard. Anything that you feel like we need to say here? So, so we sort of we talked about safeguarding the personal property. So we'll go back to real estate because that's the one that I kind of haven't talked about safeguarding. If you do have the power of sale, um, you're going to want to make sure your insurance the insurance is up to date, and mm -hmm. you're going to want to make sure it's for a vacant house now, assuming yeah. it is vacant. You're going to want to make sure, obviously, the mortgages get paying getting paid each month. You're going to want to make sure that you know, you have new locks on doors and that generally the property is going to be going to be safe. Mm -hmm. 
Now, you, when you say new locks on the doors, tell our listeners why that's important. So, I don't know if, it, if the decedent lived in the house prior to, sometimes those houses are rented, usually other kids have uh, keys. Not only are you responsible for the, if anything were to happen in that, to the actual yeah. house, the dwelling, but I have a number of times, and I'll t- we can talk about later when I talk about things that, that you should be very careful with, because these are things that fiduciaries um, aren't aware could be a, uh, could trip them up. But if somebody goes in, like your siblings will go into your parents' house who just died, they'll start taking things out. Mm-hmm. So everything from you know the grandfather clock to sometimes they get the keys of the car and they take the car Mm -hmm. and again you're personally responsible for those items and so you you have to make sure that you you protect them as best you can yeah so that's why the new locks are are key that's really helpful (laughs) no pun intended (laughs) (laughs) okay good so you i interrupted you as you were expanding on the safeguard anything else that you think would be helpful for our listeners to hear on that one I don't think so. Okay. I, I, the only thing I would say is just make sure you keep the, the property in its status quo um, uh, status mm-hmm. or position. <laughs> if, it, if it's not in great shape, you don't have to renovate it, but you certainly can't let a pillar fall down or you just can't let it deteriorate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, I would caution people, before you put a lot of, let's say you want to hire a contractor and put new bathrooms in. and, and you should probably give us a call because you're only supposed to do what's reasonable. You don't want to get into a situation we've had happen before where a fiduciary thinks that they need to spend $50,000 to renovate it. The other beneficiaries think it should have been $20,000. And then, you know, they're claiming that they misspent 30 and they could have sold it for the same amount regardless. So if you have any questions, particularly if there are any issues with beneficiaries, give us a call so we can make sure that you're on the right track and you're not going to step into a problem later down the road. Wonderful. Okay, so first four months, identify, marshal, and safeguard the assets. Let me ask you this, Mindy. If if we're getting a little bit bigger of a picture, is there anything else that you think would be helpful for our listeners to know about the overall process of those first four months in addition to those three things? Yeah, so what you also need to keep in mind is you're going to need to appraise, you're going to have to figure out the value. You're going to value all your assets. So in the first four months, you're gonna wanna think about getting an appraisal, whether it's for personal property or for real estate. Um, I generally, if if everybody, if you have all the beneficiaries agree and they're not gonna be any issues, that's not necessary in a perfect world. Mm -hmm. If you have any question um, or you wanna dot all your I's and cross all your T's, I would certainly get an appraisal for any antiques, jewelry, anything that is of any great worth. The house, um, you don't have to value, you, you don't have to get an ass- uh, appraisal, but you can use the tax assessment. Mm-hmm. So whatever you feel comfortable with on that front. Cars, use the black book value. And then this is the other thing that's really hard for fiduciaries. Like, how do I value all the stuff in the kitchen? You know what I mean? The, the mixer and the mm-hmm. 10-year-old. And so my answer to that is you can lump. Like, after you after you take out the antique uh, china cabinet and the, you know, the... Um, the figurine collection, you could just say miscellaneous household property. And you can, the way I ask people to find a value on that is, it's not replacement value, it's basically mm-hmm. yard sale value. What mm-hmm. could you put on Craigslist for? What could you, you know, yeah. so don't overestimate that. I mean, don't grossly underestimate it, but I would say um, people have a, a mistaken <laughs> um, 
understanding of the value of those assets. Mm -hmm. So if you don't, if you don't have any idea, jump online. A couch is probably worth a used couch is worth fifty dollars mm -hmm. if you're lucky. So just lump those things together. Same with personal property, jewelry, clothes, and a lot of those things are going to get donated anyway. So just make sure you don't. If you if you overvalue them, then people are like, oh, how could we have lost five thousand dollars on clothing? Well, it wasn't worth. Right. It was worth a hundred right. to begin with, and that's probably to write it off for tax purposes. Right. In the first season, we had Marlene Stum on the show, mm -hmm. who is a professor at the University of Minnesota, and she's given a great deal of time and work to this very issue. So she wrote a resource called Who Gets Grandma's Yellow Pie Plate. It's fantastic. Oh, Their wow. website's phenomenal. They have a workbook. The whole thing is meant to be more of a lab for families to go through to actually ask some of these questions to avoid conflict yeah. and avoid some of these issues, but she was tremendous on the show and she gets into that in a very, very in-depth way. I would use that resource. I and mean, we have a lot of people who come in and don't know how to divide tangible yeah. personal property. And that's exactly what she gets into. Yeah, okay, that's a great, that's a great resource. Yeah. The other thing, um, after you feel comfortable that you valued everything, the, the things that you need to keep in mind for the actual probate process, you have to get the affidavit of notice out. Mm -hmm. Mr. Loy or whomever you qualify before at the probate department will give you a document called an affidavit of notice. You need to send that out, not to just the beneficiaries in the will, but all beneficiaries in the will, including individuals that just get specific bequests, mm -hmm. which is $10,000 to so-and-so. And you have to send out to all heirs at law. Mm -hmm. So make sure you figure out, you know who all the heirs at law are of the person that died, and then all the beneficiaries in the will, and you send that document out by no, no later than four months after you qualify. Okay. If, if you don't, my job as commissioner is I have to make sure you, you've done that. When you file your inventory, I check the clerk's office. If you haven't done that, then I have to send a, a late letter to you. Mm -hmm. So you nobody don't want to get that. No, way. nobody does. <laughs> Believe me. Uh, <laughs> I've heard lots of people tell me how they feel about that. Um, the other issue is when you're valuing your assets, uh, you might want to just start a list because you're going to have to provide me with a list of assets on the inventory. The inventory mm -hmm. is the first document you file with my office. And it, it is simply a list of every item that person owned when they passed, except for those items that were owned right of survivorship mm -hmm. or that like an insurance policy that went to somebody directly by a contract. So it, all the, the inventory is probably one of the easier documents. You just literally list the asset. In other words, um, SunTrust Bank, account number one, two, three, and then the balance. Mm -hmm. So when you're, as you're going to the bank that first time, obtain a bank statement or ask them for a snapshot, what was the balance on the date of death? If they died on April 15th, you really need to know what was in that account on <laughs> April 15th. Um, and you also, for the inventory of assets, for anybody who's wondering and maybe heard that for this, about this for the first time, what other what complete or exactly are you looking for in the inventory of assets? So inventory, if you if you once you get the document, you'll be more familiar with this. But the first is all your tangible personal personal property, mm -hmm. um, and in there you're going to list again the things we talked about, whether yeah. it's antiques, jewelry, and then bank accounts, brokerage accounts. If there is any, sometimes life insurance is payable to an estate. Mm -hmm. If this person uh, died and they have a trust, mm -hmm. I mean, so any asset should, nine times out of 10 is gonna go on there in, the, yep. in that property in the first section. On the second page, there's uh, a section for joint accounts. Mm -hmm. So you do need, you don't need to account for them in that they don't go into the total of the probate assets. But there is a section two 
requires you to list all joint accounts. Even, they, even though they go to another individual uh, by contract on the date of death, they're not part of the estate, you do have to list them. So you have to list the, the name, the last four digits, the joint owner's name, and the amount in there. And that's just so people understand, nobody ever understands why they have to do that, because if um, there's a creditor or another beneficiary believes that that account was for convenience and wasn't supposed to go that un that individual, which a lot of people think, you know, their sibling, why is my sibling getting it? There is a process by which they can contest that account and, okay. and at, try to bring it back into the estate. So, oh, where was I? We were talking about inventory. Is there right. anything else in the first four months that right. yes. individuals need to get done? Uh, I don't think there's anything critical. One thing that is um, kind of tangential to all of this is make sure you keep all your receipts mm -hmm. and documentation. Mm -hmm. So if you pay the probate tax, because oftentimes you haven't even opened your own mm -hmm. opening account, you're using your own money, make sure you keep a copy of the receipt mm -hmm. and your canceled check or a copy of your credit card statement so you can reimburse yourself. Yeah. So basically any invoice, mm -hmm. bill, canceled check for, for use to pay uh, any estate bills, put that away because I'm going to need that. You're going to have to file that eventually with an accounting because every debit on the account I need backup documentation for. Okay, wonderful. So start retaining those. Good, good. Okay, Mindy, let's switch gears here. Let me ask you a, a very important question, one that I often am asked quite frequently, and that's this. What are the biggest mistakes that you see people uh, repeatedly making that anyone listening to this episode with you could avoid? So probably the first one is commingling mm -hmm. the estate assets. A lot of times, um, either people will take the money and put it into their own account, yeah. or they have an account mm -hmm. with their dad or mom, and they'll start paying the bills out of that. Mm -hmm. um, you want to make sure you don't do that. I mean, commingling is it's a logistical nightmare for you to try to figure it out mm -hmm. um, and back everything out for purposes of the accounting. So make sure you open an account, get some money into it, and only use that account. Yeah. We talked about the tangible personal property. I will tell you, I can't, the number of times that an individual comes in and says, my sister went in and took all the China, somebody took all this, or we, ha we all came together as family and every we decided who was gonna take what and they just took it and I didn't get a receipt and now they won't respond to me. So make sure if anybody takes, first of all, nobody takes anything without your permission. Once they take something, you, you get a receipt before they walk out the door. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that we talked a little bit about is, um, the real property you know yeah. just be real careful that you understand what your duties and rights are with that real property and you, you just you you know walk that line very carefully and finally not filing with us on time or giving us a call if there's an issue i am very very liberal and granting extensions i mean the first one if you call my nancy who will answer the phone will absolutely grant a 30-day extension with no you don't have to even give me a reason mm -hmm. if we get out past that i may ask for a reason but please contact us don't just not file something mm -hmm. um and in that same vein if there's a problem if you're concerned um if you feel like maybe you've done something wrong don't avoid us <laughs> come in we you know i'm going to be the one that's going to help you make make it right and make it work so the longer you avoid me the harder it's going to get mm -hmm. so I, I recommend that unless you've stolen money there's probably nothing we can't work through yeah so that's that those would be the biggest mistakes people Good. make what about bad recommendations? Yeah, so this is gonna get probably some attorneys and CPAs mad at me, but 
I would, um, I would caution you when you hire a CPA or an attorney, make sure they're very familiar with the probate process. Mm -hmm. I have had though some of my worst accounts are from CPAs and attorneys who just don't do probate right? work. Absolutely. Particularly CPAs because they're used to tax work. Right. They don't zero things out, you know, they round. There's a lot of things that aren't important on a tax return. And in the probate world, every dime is important. Mm -hmm. You know, every asset is important. So just make sure the individual, if you hire a professional, they've done this work before. Um, in that, in, make sure too, at your job as a fiduciary, you, you're entitled to a fee. And that fee is based on the work that, that you are doing. And mm -hmm. part of that work is preparing and accounting. So be very aware that if you hire an attorney or a CPA or any other professional that you're paying an hourly rate, that they are providing services that you could not provide. So mm -hmm. for instance, if you're hiring an attorney, it's gotta be for legal work. Yeah. They're, do they're preparing a deed, they're, you know, they're litigating, they're doing something for you. A CPA, they're doing taxes, they're preparing your taxes. You can certainly hire them at $400 an hour to prepare an account, but keep in mind that is reduced from your fiduciary compensation. Right. Um, if it's a really complex account, then I'm much more flexible than it could justify a CPA or an attorney who's familiar. But but I, I, I highly recommend give us a call. There's so many times I see an accounting was $10,000 because the CPA did it. Mm -hmm. Because it takes them, you know, 20 hours to enter all that information at $200 an hour. And, it, you know, that, that's just yeah. not necessary. So it catches a lot of people um, off guard. And that's what I think when people say hire someone, that's, you know, that's something that, I say could be a good recommendation, yeah. um, but it, it may not be. And right. I, I, I love attorneys getting involved. I love CPAs getting involved who are familiar. Believe me, I love those accountings when they're done well. I just don't want the fiduciaries to find themselves in a financial bind right. because of it. Yeah. Now, what about your favorite resources or instructional resources for someone that's going through this? Where, where would you direct people to if they're not able to get a hold of you on the phone call? Sure. Where would you direct them to? So... Even though the packet information packet's overwhelming, I would say try to get through that information packet. Yeah. I think if you read it from front to back, and actually I've, I've updated it recently and tried to, to pare it down a bit, it is going to give you a overview that's gonna make everything much easier. You're gonna understand mm -hmm. what you're doing. You're not gonna feel as overwhelmed. So I think that is, is key. Uh, Jack Rust, uh, the commissioner in Fairfax, also has a, a good website. Mm -hmm. um, if for some reason my information packet seems overwhelming, he's got uh, like, you can click on a bunch of different links. So maybe if there's something more concise there, mm -hmm. use that resource. The, uh, the other online resource that's helpful is the Supreme Court. They have the forms. Um, so that's, that's probably the majority of the substantive information. The, the one thing on our website that I think is particularly hap, uh, helpful, and, and Jack actually has this too, is the due dates. Mm -hmm. I recommend you print those out immediately. And it's one piece of paper that tells you when, you're in, when notice is due, inventory is due, you know, like, like what you have to do in that first year. And it's mm -hmm. really helpful to put that up on a board somewhere so you, you keep that in mind. That's really good. Good, good. Here's a question that we ask every guest on the show. Uh, if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it pertaining to probate that would get a message out to every one of the 50 or 60 new probate vines that come in a month, what, what would it say and why? I, so there, there, there's probably two. The first would be if you're confused or don't understand, don't understand something, just stop and give us a call. Go ahead. 
And that's because once you go down the wrong road, it's really hard to get you back on track. Mm -hmm. if, if you give us a call, even about the smallest thing, then we can get you on the right road and it saves us all a lot of time and effort. The second, which I already mentioned or touched on is, if you think you've done something wrong, call me. Don't avoid me. Mm -hmm. Because again, the road back is gonna be a lot less bumpy if you communicate with me from the beginning because I will help you. My goal is to get your accounting approved. Mm -hmm. So I will do whatever I can to help you. So those are probably the, the two biggest that will save fiduciaries and really our office the most amount of time. And, and the fiduciaries, the most least amount of stress will be involved if you contact me earlier. Yeah. A lot of it's just the anxiety of calling me and telling yeah. me they've done something wrong yeah. or they don't understand. And I have the monthly, I have monthly outreach sessions and it's just really helpful for you to finally come in and then everybody kind of breathes a sigh of relief mm -hmm. and then we open up a communication and then it's just, it, that anxiety melts away and it's just, it's yes. helpful. So those would be my two That's major points. That's wonderful, wonderful, Mindy. Last question, Minnie. How can our listeners connect with you? You've talked about the outreach meetings that you have. Mm -hmm. You've, your website is there. How else could people connect with you? So I'm available personally. Uh, walking in is a little difficult, mm -hmm. but you can certainly call Nancy or um, Kristen. Kristen's always here. So if, if something is pressing and you feel like you need to just stop in, feel free. Easier if you call and set up an appointment. If it's 12 o'clock at night and you have some anxiety question, anxiety related question, just shoot me an email. Um, and then the outreach sessions. Uh, some people just come to listen to the outreach sessions because yep. they feel like it's helpful to hear what other people's problems are. Come if you have one problem, come if you have a million problems. Mm -hmm. I, I think it really is just um, the personal communication that's helpful. So and where email, can people find information on when those sessions are and where? It is on the probate uh, website, okay. the clerk's, uh, on the circuit court clerk's website under probate. Mm -hmm. Every date is there and I ask everybody to call uh, that week of, because sometimes there's emergencies and I have to kick it to another date. Yeah. So please call just to make sure we're on for that night. Great. So those are probably, I, I, I try to be very accessible. So you should hear back from one of us within 24 to 48 hours, for Great. sure. Well, Mindy, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Really appreciate you stopping by and bringing so much value to people listening. I know they're going to derive a lot of benefit from us, so thank you. My pleasure. I hope it's helpful, and I hope they will take me up on it and give my office a call if there are any issues. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mindy, and if you did, please be sure to let us know. You can connect with me on Twitter at I am Jonathan SM. Again, that's at I am Jonathan SM. Be the first to listen to future episodes as well as previous episodes by subscribing to the show. All of our episodes can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. For everyone listening, you can find links to every single thing discussed in the show notes at medium.com forward slash at probate journal. And until next time, folks, as always, thank you for listening and have a great week. Take care.